Let's turn our attention to God's Word. Um, go ahead and turn to Philippians 4, uh, verse 10. And um, Steve did this last week, and I appreciated it. Um, so we'll make it a tradition. How's that? Uh, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We do this because when the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And so we respect God's Word. Philippians 4, uh, verse 10, and we'll read through verse 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and giving it to us and preserving it for us. And thank you that you speak through the scriptures uh, to us um, as we gather together as your church, as your local temple, O oh Lord God, that you, I pray that you would be honored this morning and Lord, that you would help all of us, that you would, that you would change us through your word, spirit, that you would, you would apply your word to our hearts and that we would live by it. Thank you for this people. Thank you for getting to be a part with them. And please bless our time this morning. Help me to be clear and helpful. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, let's start with just a bit of a reminder about where we're at in Philippians. This is, this is kind of the last main section in the book of Philippians. So in a large measure, we're bringing this book to a close. Um, Andre will finish up next week with the last three. But but um, really, this is kind of the last main section. But you remember what's going on in Philippians, don't you? You remember that there's disunity. We saw that last week. There's Yodi and Syntyche, and there, there's some sort of disagreement with each other. So there's some disunity going on within the church. But then there's also hints of, of uh, difficulty outside the church. They have a, a, a culture, a Roman culture, that's pushing against them. Uh, with the foolishness of Christ and the cross, but there's also potentially a threat of some false teachers. So they're, they're experiencing this, these difficulties, and Paul, throughout the whole book, the main theme and the main idea, really, and we've titled this series to reflect this, is partnership in the proclamation of Christ. How do you stay unified together in the face of difficulties? How do you combat internal disunity? It's partnership in the proclamation of Christ. And what Paul is going to do this week in the section we, we just read uh, is actually kind of returning to where he started the whole letter in a way. And actually, it's kind of interesting if you were to reread, say, uh, Philippians 1, 4 through 11, and then reread this section, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of similar words. 
Uh, the reason is, is he's, he's kind of starting where he finished, and really the occasion of this letter, not the purpose, but the occasion, the reason Paul uh, was sparked to write this is the reception of a gift by Epaphroditus. You see, the Philippians, about 600 or so miles away, uh, had sent this gift, this financial gift to Paul in Rome. And you remember Paul's under uh, Roman house arrest, but when you're under Roman house arrest, uh, you, have to, you still have to be provided for, and he can't work, so, so how is he going to be provided for? Well, the Philippians had sent a financial gift along with Epaphroditus to support Paul in Rome, and that's where he's at. And, and he really has, at the beginning of the letter, but now especially at the end, uh, he is expressing thanks. He's expressing thanks for that. And uh, there's a bit of, uh, you, you know, when you talk about money, we all know that when you start talking about money, it's awkward, isn't it, right? Uh, you don't like to talk about money with other people, uh, and if someone gives you a gift, it's kind of awkward, right? You don't know how to respond exactly. It's sort of kind of what's going on here, right? There's actually several things that Paul is trying to navigate uh, through with this. Now, just a couple things to keep in mind as we enter this section. First, the Philippians, they're mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, and the Philippians, what you need to know about them is they were a generous people, but they were also very poor at the same time. If you were to look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, Paul talks to the Corinthians about how, how the folks from Macedonia, and he's probably talking primarily about the Philippians, that they were poor, but their, their poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So these folks, uh, though they were generous with finances, were also poor. Uh, it seems like uh, uh, this wasn't the first time Paul's going to rehearse in this section. Uh, we, we've already read some of that, but he also says elsewhere that these folks had contributed to his needs many times. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven nine, he talks about uh, to the Corinthians, you know, Corinthians, I was with you, and I didn't want to be a burden to you, and I, he kind of phrases it this way, I robbed other churches uh, to be able to not be a burden to you, and he talks about uh, the Macedonians. He's talking about the Philippians. I took from them, they supported me, so that I could, didn't have to be a burden to you. So these folks were generous, but poor. Now here's another thing you need to keep in mind as we come to this section, and it kind of explains what, what Paul does here. Uh, in that culture of that time, the culture of friendship or partnership, there was this reality of giving and receiving, of uh, of, of uh, receiving gifts and giving gifts. So the idea was if you, you receive a gift, it's a good friendship. So you have a good friendship maybe, but maybe you give a gift to show honor to your friend, right? Well, in that culture, there was an expectation that the friend you just gave that gift to, they're going to give you a gift back and maybe even a little bit of a better gift. So sometimes this turned into a competition, right? Like, okay, I give you a gift, you give me a gift, right? And it goes back and forth. So this idea of giving and receiving. That was in the culture of that time. So you start tying these things together, and Paul's trying to do kind of a, a delicate dance uh, in communicating with the Philippians. You see, here's the things he's trying to do in this section. He's trying to express gratitude for the gift from the Philippians. And in that culture at that time, there was no necessarily need. If, if you look at this section, you notice he never actually says thank you, does he? Never actually uses the words thank you. But at that time, you didn't, need to, you didn't need to use the words thank you to express thanks, right? So he needs to express this gratitude, and he does in this section. But, and even if he was to just say thank you, that might actually send a signal in that culture that they should actually send more support. 
um, and that they should, or, or they might even turn it into a sort of patron-client relationship. And Paul's trying to avoid that. He doesn't want that. That's not what he's aiming for. So he's got to navigate that. He's also trying to dissuade them uh, from sending him any more gifts. Not because he disappreciates the gift, but because of their financial difficulty. You remember in sending Epaphroditus, uh, they sent this gift along with him, but then Paul recounted earlier in the letter that Epaphroditus almost died, right? One of their key people in their church, he almost died in bringing this gift to Paul. So he's trying to, at the same time, dissuade them from sending any more gifts, uh, because it would be such a difficulty for them. They're poor, and they also don't want to uh, potentially lose any of the people that they might send to Rome. And really, if you were to really kind of sum up what he's really trying to do in this section, he's trying to get them to think, uh, rethink about their partnership in the proclamation of Christ. He keeps coming back to that, and he wants them to think, it's not just you and I, Philippians, that are in a friendship Really, we have a three-way relationship going on here. Our partnership in the proclamation of Christ uh, is, is such that you shouldn't expect reciprocation from me, and Paul can't really give them anything under house arrest in Rome anyway, right, in that friendship relationship. But instead, your part, in that partnership, they should be looking to uh, the Father and the Son to supply their needs, right? And that's where he's really trying to redirect their focus in this last section. So what's the main idea in this section? Where are we going this morning? It's this. You need a partner financially in the proclamation of Christ and rely on the provision of the Father and the Son. That's where Paul is going in this section. That's what he's doing for the Philippians. And that's where we need to go this morning, to partner financially in the proclamation of Christ and rely on the provision of the Father and the Son. So we come to the first uh, point this morning in, in chapter 4, verse 10. And, the, and what Paul's doing in chapter 4, verse 10, he's, he's doing this. He's saying, rejoice in financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. Rejoice in financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. Look at verse 10 again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, that language that Paul starts with, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Does that sound familiar? It should, because he just gave them a command, the Philippians a command, in chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 1, he commanded them to rejoice in the Lord, right? And the idea is finding your joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, you find your deepest satisfaction and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and longing and uh, uh, blessing in the Lord and what he is doing, right? And who he is. We've been talking about that quite a bit. Well, now what he does is he says, um, well, uh, what I'm commanding you to do, I've applied to myself. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, right? I've done this. And really the Philippians gift to him was the cause of that or the occasion for that joy, right? So what he's saying is, I received a gift from you but really, my joy is not over the gift, and he's going to develop that, but my joy is in the Lord. You see, it's the Lord himself that actually motivated you in the, uh, the partnership of the gospel to give this gift, and so I'm rejoicing, not really in, even in you guys or the gift, but I'm rejoicing in the Lord, right? He's not saying thank you, but he, in his, he is saying thank you, isn't he, right? Would, would, you rather be, uh, would you rather it be said thank you for the gift, or would you rather it be said 
boy, you gave me that gift, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord because he's the one that ultimately produced that in you to come to me, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And so what he's saying is, uh, if you were to look in the New Testament, maybe the last time the Philippians had given to him uh, might have been uh, in Corinth or maybe about the mid-50s, right? It's about AD 62 when he's writing this. So it's been some years, at least a few years, maybe as many as seven years before they had given to him again, right? So it's been some time, and he's saying, I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm glad that now at length you have revived your concern for me, you know, supporting me. And then he says this, right? He, he doesn't, if you said that, it's not like he's trying to say, well, but it's about time you gave, right? Uh, it's about time that you, you came up with that. He, he's not trying to say that, right? He, he clarifies. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, right? Paul's been bouncing around. He's been in imprisonment. Uh, Caesarea is about 1,300 miles away from Philippi. It just doesn't work uh, to get finances over there. But now he's closer in Rome, and they have an opportunity to give. They had been thinking about them, but they didn't have an opportunity and now they do, and they've been faithful to give. And Paul is thankful to the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord because he, the Lord produced in these folks the, um, the, the care and the concern for Paul and to provide for him in a material way. So as we think about this first point, right, as we think about he's expressing this joy, do you have joy in the Lord in gospel partnership? knowing that it's from the Lord that all things come. So as you partner, as you think about partnering, there's many ways to partner in the proclamation of Christ, but one of the tangible ways is through finances, through material goods, as we are in this together and proclaiming Christ among the nations, is your joy when you either receive or you give in the Lord, right? That knowing He's the one that's supplying all this is, is your joy and your, your deepest satisfaction in Him and what He produces in others. And we might say another, ask another question. You know, these folks, they're, they're always thinking about Paul. They're looking for this opportunity to supply his needs. Are you looking for opportunities to partner with your resources for the proclamation of Christ? And that can look like a lot of different things, right? It might uh, look like giving to the local church, but it also might look like supporting missionaries. It might look like any number of things, right? But are you looking for those opportunities to partner with your resources for the progress of Christ, like the Philippians were. So that's the first thing Paul starts with. Rejoice in financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. But then the next thing he does to kind of clarify, you know, if, if you're reading this and you're the Philippians, imagine yourself the Philippians, he's saying, I rejoice greatly that now at last you revive your concern for me. And yeah, you, you guys were thinking about me, you didn't have an opportunity. You could still walk away from that thinking, boy, Paul must have really been desperate. He must have really been in need, and he's so thankful he got the gift, right? He's so thankful that his needs have been filled. And what Paul does then next in verses 11 through 13 is he actually says, no, that's not why I'm rejoicing. I'm not rejoicing uh, because of the gift. And we'll, we'll look at that uh, under the heading of our point two, rest in Christ's provision in every circumstance. Rest in Christ's provision in every circumstance. Look at the text. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Now, what he's saying there, right, he's clarifying. He's saying, look, I'm not joyful in the Lord 
because of uh, uh, according to being in need, right? Uh, now, he doesn't necessarily say, I'm not in need. This is the sort of need uh, that uh, I'm lacking basic provisions for life and living. He's not necessarily saying that he didn't lack. He's just saying that um, the reason of my joy, the reason my joy, it's not because you filled that need. My joy is not ultimately rooted in the fact that you filled a need. He's saying, no, I'm not speaking of being in need. I'm not speaking according to being in need. Why? And he explains, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So the reason that that Paul's not ultimately just excited about the, uh, meet, uh, the Philippians meeting a need is he's saying, it doesn't really matter. Even if I was in need, even if I was in a, a legitimate, uh, almost life-threatening sort of need, uh, I know how to be content. I know in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, content's a word that we kind of get. We understand a little bit about what that means, but it but it's one of those terms that we throw around, and it's worth thinking about. What does contentment actually mean? What, is, what does it mean to be content? What's Paul talking about here? So here's one way you can think about contentment. Contentment is a peaceful acceptance of the circumstances one is in. That's one way of thinking about contentment. Contentment's a peaceful acceptance of the circumstances one is in. Now, your circumstances, and Paul's going to go on to talk about this, could either be favorable or preferable or not preferable, right? But what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter whether the circumstances are preferred or whether they're not preferred. I know how to accept those circumstances peacefully. Now, now what is true contentment? True contentment, what is that ultimately rooted in? Well, it's rooted in God's sovereignty and goodness as a father, right? Um, if if, if you know that God is the one who decrees everything that happens, and then there's these circumstances in life, whether good or bad, uh, one way or the other, and yet you know that God is the one who's ultimately behind them, and he's behind them as a good father caring for his children, whether it's good or bad, then you can be content, can't you? You can be content. You can have a peaceful acceptance of those circumstances. It doesn't mean you're necessarily uh, like happy and just like, well, uh, I'm going through this hard time and uh, I'm content, meaning I'm happy going through this hard time. It's like, well, no, I'm not necessarily happy about going through this hard time, but I am trusting. I do have a peaceful acceptance of the Lord and his fatherly goodness in bringing me through these circumstances. And that's what Paul is talking about here. In whatever, in whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. And he goes on to explain this further. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So he's speaking in financial terms, right? I know how to be dirt poor, uh, or I know how to abound. I know how to experience a lot. In any and every circumstance, that's comprehensive, right? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's doing the spectrum right here, right? He's holding two things, right? Uh, I can be brought low or I can abound. I can face hunger or plenty, right? He's doing both ends of the spectrum. And so he's kind of saying, whether it's both either end of the spectrum or everything in between, I know how to face those circumstances and how to be content. 
He actually uses some language here. He uses the language of learn the secret. And, and really that was a key word. This word that he uses was, was known at that time for these other religions. They're called mystery religions. And that was the word that was used for initiation into that religion. And the idea is you get initiated into this religion, you learn some secret stuff, and you're, you know, you're, you're more on uh, a better path uh, in the spiritual realm, right? But what he's saying here is like, I've learned the secret of on either end of the spectrum, plenty uh, or hunger, abundance or need. I've, I can experience anything on the end of that spectrum or anything in between, and I can handle it with contentment. I can handle it with contentment. And, and really, what's in, 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 and so how can he do that? What is the secret? Well, verse 13, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, um, uh, one way you hear it is this, right? Uh, you, you can say it this way, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, right? Um, so verse 13, what's the context, right? What does it say? What's this? This is the secret. I can do all things, or I have the power to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, good Bible reading. What's the context? The all things, he's talking about uh, the circumstances he's in, right? Uh, most directly, finances. Of course, he could kind of be in, uh, thinking about circumstances in general, right? But that's what he's talking about. So he's, whatever circumstance I'm in, I have the power to go through those circumstances by whom? By himself? No, by the one who strengthens me. And he's alluding to Christ, right? He's saying the secret of facing, uh, whether it's hunger or abundance or anywhere in between, the secret of doing that is the one who strengthens me. The one strengthens me, Christ giving me power. And, and what's interesting here, did you notice, did you notice, it's not that Paul is just saying, well, uh, Christ gives me the ability to go through hard circumstances, Right? He gives me the ability to go through need and hunger and all that, right? He doesn't just say that. He does say that, right? But what else does he say? I've learned also the secret of how to face plenty. I've learned the secret of how to face plenty. Now, this is a really key idea. Uh, and the, Paul knows there's a danger both in lack and poverty, and there's a danger in abundance. And the scriptures are really clear on this. Let me take you to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 7, really, really helpful text for us to be thinking about. But it, it explains this danger that Paul's alluding to here. So Proverbs 30, verse 7 says this, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove from, far from me falsehood and lying. And then catch this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Right? There's danger in both poverty and abundance. In poverty, right, you're, you're tempted to alleviate your circumstances, and so you might commit a crime, right? A crime that would dishonor the Lord. But the abundance side of this, right, you, there's also a danger there too, because the more you have, the more you feel you're self-sufficient, the more you feel you have power within yourself to handle any circumstance or situation. If you wanted another good cross-reference to this, we won't read it, but it'd be good to scribble down and you can look at it later. Really helpful text, Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 20. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 20. And God talks to the children of Israel before they're going into the promised land. And he says, uh, watch out uh, lest you, you know, I'm going to give you all these blessings. I'm going to give you all this abundance, 
watch out that you, that you don't become arrogant and full and satisfied, and you basically say, I don't need God, right? And that's the danger of wealth, is to think, to, to believe the lie that you're self-sufficient and that you don't need anything. And so when you, when you both have dangers, right? When you face lack or when you face plenty, you face a danger to your soul. And how do you navigate that danger? You do it through the one who strengthens you. And this really, Paul is alluding back to what he said in chapter 3, verses um, 7 and 9. You remember this, right? We talked about it together. Um, Philippians 3, uh, 7, remember this language, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You remember we talked about that, that idea that, that Christ is your treasure, Christ is your all, and there are no other competitors. Right? If that's your mindset, if you have the mindset of Philippians 3, then Philippians 4.13 makes sense, doesn't it? Right? That whether I'm in need or whether I'm in abundance... If my true treasure is Christ himself, if he's my joy, then I can face either of those circumstances. If I feel like I don't have enough, like I'm, I'm in hard, desperate circumstances, I'm in poverty, I can remember I have Christ and I have it all. And all, all these things that he's giving that come from his caring hand. And he's only using them if they're difficult to grow me, grow me in my character and grow me in knowing him more. Or if you're on the, the wealth side of that, right, you have plenty, you have abundance, right, you face a danger. You, you face the danger of saying, I have enough, I don't need God, I don't need Christ. But if Christ is your treasure, you recognize him for who he is as the treasure of your soul, then you'll be able to face that. If you realize that you are, you are in a dynamic relationship with Christ, an ongoing relationship with Christ, you're in union with Christ, ongoing, that's... That, that uh, you are not left alone on earth, but you are bought by Christ. You've been seized by Christ. Christ owns you, and you can call out to him, and you, you can ask for strength to honor him through those circumstances, then you will be able to face both sides of that spectrum and anywhere in between. That is how you, that's the secret of contentment, is finding your joy in Christ leaning on your dynamic, uh, lively relationship with Christ purchased for him on the cross, that's how you have contentment. So Paul's saying, uh, Philippians, I might have had needs and your gifts might have filled them, but that's not why I'm joyful, because it doesn't really matter what the circumstance is. Because Christ is my treasure, because he is the one strengthening me, I can face those circumstances. Now, as an aside, I would just say this, this this section right here uh, proves, among other passages, that the prosperity gospel is false. The prosperity gospel is false. You know what I mean by the prosperity gospel. The gospel, the, the, this is a common teaching both in the U.S., I saw it in Africa. It's a common teaching that God bless. if you want to know that you're blessed by God, just look at your material wealth, right? Uh, or if you want to know that you're, you're um, cursed by God or you're, you're, you lack faith or something like that, then you, you're going to be poor, Right? 
And what this says is, no, it doesn't, you could be a lot of different places on that spectrum, and yet you have Christ in that, right? Christ is the treasure, not the material wealth. Now, here's the question for all of us in this section. Where are you manifesting discontentment right now in your life? And we struggle with this. We really do, right? We, we are so prone to think, well, if I only had this, if I only had that, if circumstances were only a little bit better, right, that's, that's discontentment. And as you think about how do I combat that, how do I combat discontentment, well, Paul gives us help here, right? What do you do? You remember Christ is the, my treasure. He is my all. He, he has me. I have Christ, and I have everything. And you can call out to him. He can enable you. He gives you the strength to enable you to meet any circumstances to help you and navigate the ups and downs of life. But where are you struggling with discontentment? How do you fight it? You fight it by the one who strengthens you, by Christ, by your joy, your treasure being in him, and by calling out to him and help to navigate those circumstances. So that's what Paul is saying, right? He's kind of taking this aside and saying, Philippians, I'm not rejoicing because I, you, uh, your gift met my need. I'm, I can meet all circumstances, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. But then he circles back in verse 14. He circles back to where he started in verse 10. Uh, he, he circles back to giving thanks for the gift. And that brings us to our next point, point three. Uh, and w- what we need to see in verses 14 through 18 is this. You need to persist in fruitful financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. That's what he talks about in verses 14 through 18. Persist in fruitful financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. Let's look at verse 14. Yet, so he's, he's transitioning, right? He's transitioning back. He's saying, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And that word share there, uh, share in the ESV, it's our our word koinonia, right? It's a relative of that word, that that idea of partnership, right? And what he's saying is, uh, it was kind of you, it was good of you to show your partnership in the gospel by meeting my, my needs in prison, meeting my trouble, sharing in my trouble in prison, which is for the gospel. He talked about that in chapter one. It was kind of you to partner with me by giving those finances, But then, in verse 15, he goes on to rehearse all of the partnership through finances that the Philippians have really done. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, what does he mean by that? He's talking about when he first came to Philippi, when he first came to Macedonia. You can read about that in Acts 16, right? When he first came there, the beginning of the gospel among them, when I I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And what's he thinking about there? Well, if you remember Acts 16 and 17, what happens is Paul goes to Philippi, they they establish a church there, and then they're run out of town, and then they go to Thessalonica, which is still in Macedonia, and then they get run out of town, and then they go to Berea, right? And then eventually, uh, once they leave Berea, they leave the region of Macedonia, and then they go on to the region of Achaia, which is where Corinth is. Right? And so what he's talking about here, he's talking about when I left Macedonia. So once he leaves Macedonia, he goes into Corinth, into Achaia, and uh, like we read or talked about earlier, uh, he received support from the Philippians while he was in Corinth. 
he, he describes it, 2 Corinthians 11, 9. I, he tells the Corinthians, I robbed other churches. He's talking about the Philippians. They, they gave me support so I didn't have to be a burden to you. And that's what he's talking about here in Philippians 4. No church, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So not the Thessalonians, not the Bereans, uh, only the Philippians helped him in that situation. Now, what's he talking about in giving and receiving? Uh, literally, it, he's, he's using financial language right here. It's literally in the reckoning of giving and receiving. He's, this is accounting language. This is debit and credit language, right? Uh, giving, uh, the, 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 the debt side, the debit side, and receiving, the, the income side of things. That's what he's talking about. And this comes back to where we were starting at the beginning of of today, right? This is the language actually of friendship. When you had a good friendship, this isn't like a utilitarian friendship. When you had a good friendship or partnership with someone, you would have this exchange of gifts going, this kind of reciprocal action of, I receive, I'm honored, I give you a gift, I'm honored, right? And you go back and forth, this giving and receiving idea. And he's saying, uh, you participated with me. By being a partner with me in the gospel, by meeting my needs, right, physically, and then by me preaching and, and relaying spiritual truth, right, that's, you engage in this reciprocal kind of giving and receiving relationship, and you were the only one to do it. He even backtracks in verse 16, says this, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So, remember what I said, he went to Philippi first, then to Thessalonica, then to Berea, then he left Macedonia. Well, here he's backtracking, he said, even right after we left you folks, even right after we left Philippi and we were in Thessalonica, uh, we received support from you. You guys have partnered from the very beginning in supplying my needs and giving and receiving. You're giving to me uh, materially, and I'm going out for spiritual, re- uh, uh, spiritual progress for the proclamation of Christ. But then he has to clarify. Then he has to clarify again, right? Because um, he could be kind of, the way he's using his language, right, is like, well, you're just, you're just thankful for these gifts, right? You're thankful, thankful for the back and forth uh, giving here. And he's like, no, no, no. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, right? That's not what I'm about. That's not what I want, Philippians. Not that I seek the gift. So what do you seek, Paul? But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What's he saying? What does that mean? So he's still using accounting language here. He's, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about profit. And he, he's saying, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So that credit on that balance sheet. Well, who, who's he talking about? He's talking about God. He's talking about God. That's where he's directing them. He's saying, Philippians, it's not about me receiving this gift. That's not what I'm seeking. That's not what I'm seeking. But what I am seeking in you giving those gifts, uh, the credit is not with me in the friendship, that giving and receiving action. The credit is with God. The credit is with God, which opens us up to um, this idea of God's rewarding uh, 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 fruitfulness. God's rewarding fruitfulness. This is a big theme in Scripture, and it's kind of just briefly touched on here. You see, the reality is, is that we are judged or will be judged as believers, right? So we're not talking about salvation. We're, we're, we're brought into salvation by Christ's grace alone, but there's a reality that's laid out in the New Testament where we are judged and proportionally rewarded 
based on our fruitfulness, based on our fruitfulness. Let me take you to a couple places to, to, to help you with that. John 15, 8. Let's start with John 15, 8. This is Jesus in that famous section where he's talking about uh, the vine. I'm the true vine. And he even says things like, apart from me, you can do nothing. You remember that, right? Everything is a gift from Christ. Our spiritual fruitfulness comes from Christ. And then he says this in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, if we're disciples of Christ, we, we must be fruitful. Why must we be fruitful? Because we're connected with the vine. We're connected with Christ, the one who gives spiritual vitality. We cannot be, it's a, it's, a, it's a contradiction to say that we are in union with Christ, the one who provides ultimate spiritual fruitfulness, and yet you bear no fruit. That doesn't make any sense, right? And so that's why he's saying here, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You can also think of the parable of the talents or the parable of the minas. You remember those parables, don't you, right? Where, where the master comes and he entrusts different things to his servants to do business on his behalf until he comes again, right? And you remember how that results, that, that the one who, uh, the, the, those who, who invest, right? Maybe I have five talents, I get five talents more. Maybe I have two talents, I get two talents more, right? They've done business, God rewards them, right? The, the, the master rewards them proportionally. And do you remember for the, fo- the guy that, that does nothing, right? He just hides it in a handkerchief or in a ground, right? He's, he's condemned. He's ultimately shown to not be a true servant because, because he thinks the master is a hard man. He thinks the master is a hard man. So, this is this reality that Paul is talking about or touching on in Philippians 4, right? This idea that, that God desires us to be fruitful and he rewards us proportionately. And money, money is one of those key areas where we can be fruitful for Christ's kingdom. Jesus is really explicit on this. Uh, look at Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew six nineteen. You're familiar with this. Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is speaking to is the reality that He's like, you want to invest your money wisely? You want the best return possible? You want the most security? Invest it in heaven. And he's talking about literal finances here, right? Uh, give, uh, and what does he say? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's talking about the reality that where we put our money uh, both describes uh, where our priorities are at and also drags our hearts in that direction, right? So if, I, if I'm spending all my money on a certain thing uh, um, and investing in a certain thing, right? If I'm investing primarily earthward, right? If I'm primarily investing earthward, then my shows more and more that my heart is towards the things of earth, and it also drags my heart that direction. Because where my treasure is, there my heart will be also, right? If I'm investing in the things of heaven, 
And ultimately what he's speaking of is souls, right? Looking at investing money for the rescue of souls. If that's where I'm putting my money, it shows that I value that and it also drags my heart in that direction. Paul himself talks about this reality with money in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. You remember this one too. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You tie all this together, and what's, what's the picture, right? I could take you to more passages. Luke 16, 1 through 13 is another good one. But, but the point being that where we invest money is an opportunity to be fruitful for God's kingdom, right? I mean, to put it bluntly, it takes money uh, for the gospel to go forth. It really does. Um, and that investment is for the salvation of souls, right, uh, for, to be gathered into God's kingdom. Now, here's the catch, right? That as we, whether it's our money or whether it's our fruitfulness in general, right, that God rewards, the reward is left up to God. We don't get to define that, right? We don't get to define, well, my reward's going to be a Maserati, right? Or my reward's going to be a mansion or whatever, right? That's what the prosperity preachers go to. God gets to define the reward, whether it's in this life or ultimately in the life to come. He's the one that gets to define the reward, and what's amazing is it's he's the one that ultimately produced that fruitfulness in us to begin with through Christ. It's ultimately him. But that's what Paul is speaking to, that principle in Philippians 4. He's saying, Philippians, I'm not excited. It's not about me receiving a gift, right? I'm excited because you guys gave, right? And uh, God's going to bless that. That's going to increase to your credit, and then he goes on in verse 18. So we're back in Philippians 4, 4, 18 says this, I have received full payment. And again, that's, that's, that's very much, that's like the sort of language you put on the end of a receipt in those days, right? I've been paid in full, right? I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And what he's saying is, right, remember, he's trying to tell them nicely, I don't need anything more, right? I've got all I need. You've supplied my needs. You've filled them. You really have, and I'm thankful for that, but I'm good. I'm good. And then he redirects them using the sacrifice language, right? He, He switches metaphors, and he says, what you've given, what you've given, you haven't really ultimately given to me. You've given to God, right? You've given to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, right? It's the, the language of sacrifice in the Old Testament where you would give a thank offering to God a, a, a for what he has given. And so what he's saying is, uh, you haven't given to me, ultimately you've given to God. 
So let me ask you, where are you currently partnering with your resources for the proclamation of Christ? And, and, and Jesus and Paul hold out the motivation of reward. They do, right? You don't get to define that. God gets to define that because he's good, right? He's a good and kind master. But where are you investing resources for the proclamation of Christ? And are you looking for the eternal fruit that that brings, right? In terms of souls, in terms of worship to God, in terms of things that we can't even imagine, right? What God's going to do. Where are you investing and are you looking to that eternal fruit? Now, finally, where we wrap all this up, point four, verses 19 through 20, where Paul's taking us is praise the Father for his provision for every need. Right? Praise the Father for his provision for every need. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What did he just say, right? He said at the end of uh, verse 18, really, you've given to God, right? Remember, it's not just you and me, Philippians. It's not just you and me. It's you, me, and God, right? And if we're talking about you've given, I can't reciprocate, but God can. God can. And he will supply every need. Remember, these folks were poor. They're not well off, right? And he's saying, my God will supply every need of yours to what standard? According to the riches, to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is the uttermost statement of wealth you could possibly imagine, right? God is infinitely rich. He owns everything. He sustains everything. He, it, in this, this phrase, riches and glory, you think of how glorious and majestic and awesome God is beyond our comprehension. And you think of the riches that go along with that. And then that little phrase at the end, in Christ Jesus, right? In our relationship with Christ, in our union with Christ, he will supply every need of yours, Philippians. You've given sacrificially, you've partnered, God will supply. Now here's the catch. Who gets to define the need? You don't get to define the need. But the Father, the Heavenly Father who knows all, who knows exactly what you need to meet the circumstances, to be content, He will supply those needs. Which ultimately leads to what? Verse 20, this expression of praise, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the ultimate supplier, the ultimate provider is God himself, right? It's the Father. And so who gets the ultimate glory and honor for giving, right? It's the Father. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And really, ultimately, if you recognize that in, in, in giving and in partnering financially in gospel partnership, Right? You recognize that God's the one that's supplying the gift. He's the one that produces the results. Ultimately, the prize and reward that I'm looking for is seeing God's praise and God's glory. Right? Uh, we, we were built to see and taste and enjoy God's glory forever and ever. That's what heaven consists of. Right? It's, it's not all the cool rewards, although that's, that's going to be great. That's going to be part of it. Right? But, but it's, it's God himself and seeing and knowing and enjoying his glory forever and ever. 
So are you looking to your heavenly Father to supply all your needs as he defines them? And here's the other side of that, right? Sometimes we have this notion of, well, I know what I need, so I'm waiting for God to supply that. Well, then you're defining what the need is and what it looks like for God to do that. And maybe they sync up, but oftentimes they don't. And so are you recognizing where he is supplying you with what you need and giving him the glory, right? So, so there may be ways in your life where God is supplying your needs. Where is that? And where is it? We kind of get tunnel vision. Where is God supplying your needs? And are you giving him glory for that? So where we've been this morning, right? Verse 10, rejoice in financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. Verses 11 through 13, rest in Christ's provision in every circumstance. Verses 14 through 18, persist in fruitful financial partnership in the proclamation of Christ. And verses 19 through 20, praise the Father for his provision for every need. All of that bundled together, what's Paul trying to get us to take away? Partner financially in the proclamation of Christ and rely on the provision of the Father and the Son. Now, I'd be remiss as we close to just make a comment as you've voted me in to be your pastor, we've entered into this kind of partnership, haven't we? Right? But what I'm grateful for, what I'm so grateful for and how this worked out, this isn't a job. This is a partnership, right? It's, it's, it's the reality of what Paul is talking about here, right? Where the way God brought us together it's not about finances. It's not about the job. It's about working together for the proclamation of Christ. And in that, I rejoice, and I hope you all rejoice as well. So, let's pray. Let's be close. Lord, we thank you um, for texts like this and giving us good instruction for, for how to be content, um, how to be dependent on the Lord, and how to use resources wisely. Lord, you want us to use your resources that you've entrusted to us as stewards wisely. Help us to do that. Give us wisdom, whether that's money, whether it's time, whether it's other things. Lord, help us to use the resources for the sake of your glory, for the sake of, by your grace, rescuing more kingdom citizens and bringing them into the church. Lord, we long for that. We, we do pray specifically for for this area, for Hood River and the Dalles, Lord, that you would rescue more people. There are people who are lost, that don't know you, that don't know your glory and will never know it apart from you working and apart from us going. Lord, help us. Um, please bring more people to yourself. We ask these things and pray them in the name of Christ. Amen.